0: Scroll, a University Fellowship Church podcast. My name is Chris Moore. We get together twice a week and deliver the goods to you, the Bible goods. We have Sean Duncan in with us again. Hello, Sean. What's up, Chris? So happy to have you. It's good to be here. You are continuing your series in Matthew.
1: Yep. I, I started a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> introducing you to the Sermon on the Mount because it is ingrained in my mind. I spent a summer going through it with uh, the youths of the church and it was really fun and really impactful for me personally and also uh, for them. So it's just in my head a lot. And I think it's really valuable for all Christians since this is the guy who we follow as the Messiah and savior of the world and he's teaching us. So yeah, I think it's valuable (laughs) and I think a lot of the stuff in it um, he really does want us to apply it to our lives. And I, I think he, Jesus gives us a picture of what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven here and now in the present reality. So
0: And it, it's also, at least for me, it, this is often a path, you know, selection of passages that sometimes you read through and you kind of, you glaze over in the eyes. Cause you're like, I don't know what does it mean to be blessed and all mm-hmm. these things. And so hearing you talk about it has been really um, exciting and encouraging to break this down and go, okay, what does this stuff mean? So, yeah.
1: And, it's clearly one of the most valued sections of the New Testament, and the reason why I would say that is because throughout church history, there's so much contention around these verses and what it means and who it applies to uh, as a Christian. Um, and, and so there's lots of scholarly de- debates on like how do we interpret these these three chapters and and who is Jesus speaking to and who is this applied to, because we really wanna get this right, because we really value not, uh, not just the word of God, but also the person uh, who is God become incarnate. So we wanna honor these ones. So there's there's so much church history around these verses and these chapters where people are interpreting and writing on them, uh, lots of rich minds to um, to search throughout the rest of your life and never exhaust the depths of them.
0: Well, let's see if we can exhaust yours. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I pretty much figured it out.
1: <laughs> I'm just kidding. And he's exhausted. It was okay, that, that quick. <laughs> so um, today we're going to do, let's see, we're going to do four verses, which I think is the <sighs> biggest chunk the of marathon we've ever done. So, so far we've seen the Beatitudes, which is where Jesus pronounces a blessing on his disciples. And then we've also looked at Jesus giving these identifiers, these identities to his disciples. He says, you're the lie of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Now Jesus is going to turn his attention more onto himself. So he said, here's who you are because of me. And and here's who I am. And he's going to correct some misunderstandings around himself that have been floating around the, the ancient world. And then he's also going to begin to address the Old Testament and misunderstandings, misuses, and abuses of of the old Testament laws. So first we're going to look at verses 17 through 20 of chapter five. I'll read it and then we'll start working through it. Let's go. Okay. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them for truly. I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i tell you unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees you will never enter the kingdom of heaven
0: well heavy jesus
1: yeah he really took a corner there did huh? <laughs>
0: yeah i was like i'm uh, i'm down up to this point
1: <laughs> yes so Uh, I think first what's happening is he's correcting a misunderstanding about him. And even though this is the first recorded teaching of Jesus' in the Gospel of Matthew, it would seem from... Uh, the gospel of John, gospel of Luke, even the gospel of Mark, that there have been other teachings that have happened. Like Jesus' ministry has been going to some degree. And we even know that because right before the Sermon on the Mount starts, it tells us that he's been going around teaching, preaching, and healing. And then those crowds are following him. So we're getting another one of his teachings here. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I think that is an assumption about Jesus as people are following him. So we got to know what do they mean by that? So law and the prophets is a shorthand way to refer to what we call the old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. It's a synecdoche. Know that word?
0: No, that's a new one for me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) A synecdoche is when you refer to the whole by a part. So I have a new set of wheels. You're referring to a car, but Mm -hmm. just by referring to the wheels or, um, or if you're talking about sports and you say Cleveland won, well, you're referring to like the the sports organization by the city name that you're calling it. Gotcha. Um, or, you know, you have glasses on. You could refer to your glasses as a new pair of lens mm-hmm. and just refer to a part of them. So a snack key is when you refer to a part of it to apply to the whole. So the law, when you see law in the Bible, that could be referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, It's sometimes also called the Law of Moses or as it's written in Moses. So the first five books are the Law, the Torah, but you could also refer to the entire Old Testament as the Law, a Synecdoche. Or you can refer to the Old Testament as the Law and the Prophets. However, the Prophets were a specific section of the Old Testament. There's the former Prophets, which are, Joshua, Judges, um, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and then you have the latter prophets, which is Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Then you have those minor prophets like Joel and Jonah and Zechariah. All those, all the named ones. Um, so prophets could re- be referring to just those few, or you could refer to the Law and the Prophets again, a synecdoche to refer to the Old Testament. I think Jesus is using it as a synecdoche here. So he is very common to refer to the Old Testament because they didn't call it the Old Testament. They called it, <laughs> they called it the scriptures or the law and the prophets. Yeah. Right.
0: They didn't have the new one yet. <laughs> yes. The, it was being formed. So,
1: so Jesus is, is going around, he's doing ministry. And the accusation is that he's abolishing the law and the prophets. And what it means to abolish in this context is to, is to cut away from something. Uh, it, it's a, the word most literally in a sense is, is like to detach something for the purpose of demolishing it. Mm. So people are saying, man, he is trying to tear down and demolish the scriptures and almost start something new. It's like that's what the accusation is against him, maybe by Pharisees or contemporary scribes or Sadducees. We don't really know who, but that's kind of like the the proverbial back of the head thought about Jesus. And he says, I am not here to get rid of the Old Testament in fact what I'm here to do is to fulfill it so the word for fulfill uh, really good translation like to fill something up um, it, you can think of have you have multiple cups on your table actually
0: I do I've got I got a beverage problem
1: and I noticed that they're all empty
0: it's true okay <laughs> a
1: cup with purpose it is to be filled with something to fill that you are fulfilling the purpose of the cup, so Jesus also in the same way for the Old Testament, He is fulfilling it. He's bringing it to its completion, almost like a top off on your cup of water. You're you're taking it to the limit. You're filling up what was lacking. Um, the Old Testament basically functions. Um, this is very much a, a an illustration, and <laughs> you know, don't take this as the rule of life. But you can think of the Old Testament as if. You went to the doctor and you get a prescription. You have a prescription and you're going to take that prescription seriously and you're not going to throw it away, but you need to get your prescription filled in order for it to become effective. The diagnosis is not effective until you have the prescription filled. So the Old Testament is like the doctor's prescription and Jesus is filling the prescription and he's bringing it to completion for the healing of the nations. So Jesus is a new set of lenses he he's a new set of lenses i was thinking more of like i don't know like pills you need to get for like pain oh, okay. or, or an anti- antibiotic right Yep. Yeah. or a set of lenses so so jesus is not getting rid of the old testament in fact what he's doing is he's bringing the old testament to its culmination to its pinnacle to its fulfilled purpose he is taking it to its end destination
0: Where it was always pointing. Where
1: it was always pointing. It was always going this direction. This is the purpose of the Old Testament, and and he's finishing the work. Then he says, um, very emphatically, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. There again, when he says law, I think he's still synecdocheing. That's not a a real word. (laughs) But he's still using it as a synecdoche. So... So sometimes we could look at this and we can think, okay, law, he's referring to the 613 commandments that are in the first five books of the Bible. I think he's referring to all the scriptures here. And when he says not an iota, not a dot, those are basically just like the dots of I's and the crosses of T's, the really small marks that are in scripture. Jesus is saying that those matter and those aren't going away. In fact, the heavens and the earth, they will... They will diminish and they will decay before the Old Testament does. He's saying that's how important, and that's how solidified it is in its importance.: So he's not advocating
0: we unhitch the Old
1: Testament. He is not. And if anyone is clever enough to know that reference, I think it was just a poor phrase from a preacher who was doing well, and he was talking about the commands of the Old Testament. Mm. Uh, he was wanting the people to see that the Old Testament laws uh, do not apply to New covenant people. And we shouldn't put burdens of Old Covenant laws, obscure Old Covenant laws, onto New Covenant people. His choice of words, though, were confusing and got a lot of flack from media. Well,
0: and I think, too, practically speaking, I think it's probably easy for people to go, I'm going to read my Bible. I'll read a New Testament book. Totally. I don't want to spend time in the Old Testament. I don't know what that's about. Yes,
1: yes, totally. So uh, that does raise this question about like, what is our relationship to the Old Testament? So that's why this is like a really important passage and there's lots of literature on it. Um, So the Old Testament contains the story and the markers of the old covenant, but I would argue that it is a new covenant document. Hmm. The way the Old Testament is written And framed as the Hebrew Bible, it ends in an incomplete sentence. It ends with the book of Chronicles giving a picture of hope that a a son of David would come and restore uh, the temple presence of God to the people. Even though the people had already returned and rebuilt a temple, it's like we're still waiting. So even though the story that is contained in the Old Testament is about the Old Covenant people and there's all these echoes of the old covenant. I think it's for the new covenant people. It's what's called messianic literature. Mm -hmm. So it's finding its fulfillment in Christ and it's pointing there. So it's very valuable for us because it is showing us who Christ is. And and, um, even though it's talking about a people of the past, it's for a people of the future. Good. So um, Jesus is saying that he's fulfilling the old Testament. Then he has this interesting line that, whoever relaxes or loosens one of the least of these commandments, the question is like, well, what commandments does he mean? Does he mean the commandments of the Old Testament? Or does he mean the commandments that he's about to give us? Mm. It's you know, it's an important question. Yeah, and it's just kind of up up in the air. And it kind of depends on how you read the Old Testament. Are Is the Old Testament just for the old people? Mm-hmm. Or is it for the new people also? That could, would probably play into how you, you view it. Also, the entire Old Testament is written by prophets carried along by the Spirit of Christ. So, all the words of the Bible are the words of Christ. So, any commands in the Bible are commands from Christ to his people. So, maybe it's just all of them. Sure. Anyways, whoever relaxes one of the least of them or loosens one of the least of them will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I love this verse specifically for um, thinking through brothers and sisters in Christ who do it doesn't look like they're walking very faithfully. I think through um, the pastor friends that I have around the country and just by pastors I hear about where I hear about their teaching. I'm like, man, that just doesn't really seem faithful to the word of God or even to Christ himself. And this honestly gives me hope for them and comfort in my own ignorance that they're still in the kingdom. They're just called least in the kingdom, but they're sure. still in the kingdom um on the flip side, those who are really faithful are called great in the kingdom, but they're already in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's just a, a comforting thing and for for those of us as Christians who see others that seem to be walking in disobedience, just to be compassionate and, and recognize that they might be called least in the kingdom, but they're still in the kingdom and they're still brothers and sisters, even if it doesn't seem like they're they're walking in obedience to the word the way we are at the time. Sure. But then he throws the zinger in verse 20. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Easy peasy. (laughs) (laughs) So the scribes and the Pharisees were these religious leaders. Um, Pharisees uh, were more like uh, the the conservative pastors of the time and the scribes were the scholars who were writing all the books scribes their job was just to copy the old testament over and over again and pass it on so they were really um they had a lot of expertise in the torah because they were so familiar with it because they were copying it all the time so these guys were kind of lifted up on a pedestal as being just really exceedingly godly Individuals and and in one hand that was true they were I mean Paul was a Pharisee Paul is a Pharisee even after his conversion like he's still a Pharisee and he's exceptionally godly and there's Pharisees who come to Christ and um, they're members of the Sanhedrin but they're followers of Christ and they're exceptionally godly people so he's Jesus is saying well there is a standard that you're familiar with and unless your righteousness your your Character and your acts of goodness. Unless that you exceed them, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. But there was that the verse right before where he said that those who loosen and uh, teach others to do the same of the law, like they're called least in the kingdom. So there's this weird paradox going on that it seems like unrighteous people are in the kingdom because the scribes and the Pharisees are the ones who. Held the law really well, and they did not loosen anything about the law. And in fact, they added laws to the law so that you wouldn't break the law. Yeah. That's the purpose of all these additional laws. Like, the, it's like they're creating a safety net around the Torah so that, yeah, maybe you break one of the Pharisees' laws, but at least you didn't break one of the laws of God. So it's a safety net. So these guys are the ones who don't relax anything. And yet, there's people who are going to be in the kingdom who relax of the laws. So how can this be? Well, that's what we're going to see Like as we keep going through chapter 5. He's going to be working through um, the laws of the Old Testament, and he's going to get to the very end. And I'll just read It's the last verse of chapter 5. He says, You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So if you want righteousness that qualifies you for the kingdom of heaven, righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, what you need is to be perfect as God is. So on one hand that crushes you because you realize that you cannot do that. But it also frees you because what Christ offers you is that righteousness. Because later he remember blessed or before blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later he's going to talk about storing up treasure in heaven and not storing up treasure on earth and, right after uh, walking through all these spiritual disciplines that have reward. And, and they're all about pursuing God in your quiet time and in your personal time and allowing the God who sees in secret to reward you and to be your reward. So you could either rely on yourself and try to become righteous. And if, if that's the case, then the standard that you need to hit is perfection as God is perfect. No ounce of sin, AKA we're all disqualified already. Or You could be made perfect by the righteousness of Christ, coming to him in his life, death, and resurrection, in which case you do enter the kingdom of heaven and you might not be the best, but you also don't deserve to to be there in the first place. No one does. And there will be people in the kingdom who are great and who are least, but none of them deserve to be there. There will be no one in heaven who says, I deserve to be here. And yet everyone who is in hell will say, yeah, I deserve this. So there's the tension that's created, but all the way coming back to what Jesus is saying about the law uh, and the prophets, he is saying that he's fulfilling them. So if you want to understand Jesus better with more clarity, with more insight, with more nuance, with more depth and more love, then become a lover of the Old Testament. And that is hard to do. Um, it's meditation literature made for a lifetime of reading and of studying. You're not going to get it in one sitting and one studying, but do it in community. And over time, you will see the beauties of Christ in a way you never have before. The gospel is beautiful because the simplistic mind of a child can understand it. And yet the greatest theologians can never exhaust the depth and beauty of it. So my encouragement for anyone listening would be to become a lover of the old Testament and of the entire Bible knowing that it's pointing you to Christ and showing you what he has done.
0: So good. Yeah, I've I've heard it referred to as uh, a funnel leading forward to Christ, and then the New Testament is uh, not a funnel per se, but kind of an arrow pointing back Mm -hmm. towards Christ. And so reading it through the lens of looking forward and going, okay, what does this tell me about what's Mm -hmm. coming? Because we know it's coming, and for those who are in Christ, we've received most you know, besides the yeah. <laughs> new heaven and new earth and glorified yeah. bodies, but yeah, what a beautiful way to appreciate mm-hmm. the other half of God's inspired word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome, Sean, thank you so much. I'm excited to unpack the rest of this, as it all seems like it's pretty interconnected.
1: Yeah, next time we'll we'll talk about uh, killing each other.
0: <sighs> Call of Duty. Okay. No. Nope. Nope. Okay. Well. we'll <laughs> all right. We'll see you next
1: time. time. <laughs>